The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. C.S. Lewis has famously said uh, in his book on the four loves, he talks about friendship in general, he comments, is born at that moment when one man says to another, or one woman says to another, uh, or one guy to a girl, doesn't, not gender specific, what you two? I thought I was only, I thought I was the only one like this. Um, it is this moment where you see something with somebody else, and you say, "Oh, I'm not the only person like this." Uh, he goes on to say, "Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy or art. There is no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. Uh, friendship is one of these things that." is maybe better uh, seen than defined. It's one of those things that we feel and experience and long for, and yet when you begin to kind of define what friendship is, it gets a little muddy, right? Well, we like the same things. Well, do you work together? Yeah, we're going the same place, but we're not getting paid the same thing. That's not why I'm in this friendship, right? Like, if you ask somebody, like, why they're married to their spouse, then you begin to kind of define, like, well, what's the nature of your relationship? And it's like, well, she's funny and smart and pretty, it's like, so that's why you got married? Like, it doesn't make sense in, in a certain logical sense. It's a thing that you have to look at and see rather than necessarily define. Um, and as we look at this relationship between Paul and Corinth in this whole letter, as we've been kind of walking through, you could begin to legitimately ask, like, well, are they really friends? Like, what's the deal here? Because Paul has some very kind of like harsh and startling things to say to them at times, right? Like, calls them uh, fools. <laughs> And says, uh, uh, stop being idiots, don't do this, uh, stop b- bowing down to local idols, um, cut all this crazy sex stuff out, you know, like, he's got a lot of hard things to say, and yet, um, in the undertow of all of that is this fr- thread of friendship that's based not in appeasing each other, um, which is, tends to be kind of where our friendships lie, but in a friendship that has been made with him and with the church in Corinth by God himself. You see this when you kind of begin to back up, and you see that regularly uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is referring to the character of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how they engage in the life between them. So what I want to do is, before we kind of get into our outline of what does this all mean for us, I want to pick up just two quick threads, and then with those threads, begin to see how Paul weaves out his friendship, the values of his friendship with them through the book of 1 Corinthians. So the first thread that I just want to throw on your radar is this idea of the Trinity in the book of 1 Corinthians. There is, by my count, and this is is an imperfect count, but there are around 11 places where Paul refers to the Trinity specifically and then various members of the Trinity along the way. So 1 Corinthians, can we throw these slides up? 1 Corinthians 1, right at the beginning of the book, to the church of Corinth, church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. No, go back. With all those um, uh, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place are called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their lords and both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And like we've kind of looked at along the way, hidden within this verse, there's people who are called together. They are called by the Holy Spirit, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. So you see here within Paul the way he even frames out the opening of this letter. 
to the churches in Corinth, they have one Father with me, and we have one Lord together. And then this next, just a couple of verses later here, and when and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here you have the Trinity being played out again in how he even begins to found the church, right? So you have God, God the Father mentioned, the Spirit, and Jesus. We can keep going on. There's a few of these. Are you guys tracking with this? It's cool? All right. 1 Corinthians 8 and 12, none of the rulers of this age understood this. The gospel message that he's talking about, if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the, even the depths of God. The, the, let's go to the next one. So you're seeing this theme come up. Do you not know that those who are God, that you are God's temple... And that God's spirit dwells in you, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God. The next one. Here we go. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. We can go to the next one here. And in my, uh, yet in my judgment, um, she is happier if she remains as she is, and yet I think that I too had the spirit of God for yet... Uh, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom we exist. There are varieties of, of gifts in the same spirit here, verse Corinthians 12, and yet varieties of service, uh, but the same Lord, and varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. You see, I'm laying out all these just to kind of show you that there's this consistent thread of the Trinity through the book of 1 Corinthians. I know you guys can all read your Bibles and see that. But the reason I think that that is important for us to see is that when it comes to this category of friendship, it begins to reorient our understanding of how Paul thinks about his friendship with the Corinthian church because primarily Paul is living out this deep reality that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You might, it might seem a little... Uh, it might seem a little demeaning to say they're friends <laughs> because they are the Trinity, the one God and one, one God, three persons, and yet there is a relational reality, a relational unity among them, a love between them that is the basis of our friendships together. This is what you see Jesus promising here and uh, John at the end of his ministry. This is the second thread I just want to pull out. John, can we throw those up, please? John. 1423, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And he fills it out here in John 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all I have heard from my father I have made known to you. See, Paul is living out this reality that God himself has made us his friends. And when God has made you his friend, reached out and called you into his family, sits now in the heart, in, at the table in your heart and calls you his friend, the way in which your relationships play out 
reflect the character of God. That's what you're seeing as Paul is, keeps referring to this Trinity dynamic in his relationships with the Corinthian church. It's because God has made him Paul's friend. And for you, and the way that plays out is that it changes the nature of our friendships. Because when we talk about friendships, I think that there is um, a very distinct sort of uh, value added of what Christian friendships are like. Because friendships are good, right? We all want friendships. If you're, it doesn't, you don't have to be a Christian to want friends, right? Everybody wants friends. But there is a distinct flavor and character to what friendships look like for those who follow and love Jesus. And it's because God has made us his friends. And because we are his friends, we reflect him. So that's the main point of what we're kind of looking at. The main point of this sermon, the main point of what we're looking at, and I think we will see in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to kind of dip into it a couple other places, is that Christian friendships reflect the character of God because God makes his, us his friend. That's the main point of what we're looking at. And I realize that because this is a topical sermon, we all tend to like like one's passage. We're just going to kind of pick up a few passages along the way and see how this value for Paul, that, fr- build, uh, that friendships reflect the character of God, uh, plays out in his life. And so the first kind of category, the first dynamic that we're going to pick up on is going to be that Christian friendships are gracefully encouraging. We are going to step back into the beginning of 1 Corinthians and look at this. If you were here when we started this book um, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, like what, over a year ago or something, this is going to sound very familiar, but I think this is one of the most critical and important roots the most critical and life-giving dynamics of what a Christian friendship is, and we want to continue to remember it. Christian friendships are graceful and encouraging. Let me just read for us 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the... For the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. See, one of the things that we, when we looked at this to begin with, and maybe this is more pointed for us now, Paul, at the very beginning of a letter, it is about to legitimately be like a Conor McGregor fight. (laughs) just going vicious on them for all these issues that are going on in their church and in their life in Jesus, he starts out pointing to God's grace and activity among them. Remember what we've looked at in 1 Corinthians, right? They've got, uh, they've got a son-in-law sleeping with his stepmom, right? They've got crazy things going on with gifts and tongues, power dynamics and power moves going on in the church where people are legitimately coming to the Lord's Supper to get drunk and show their power moves over the poor and needy in the, in the church. They've got all these things that Paul is going to address. And yet, the first thing that he starts out with is that he, I give thanks to my God for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. This is what we call our grace goggles. Right. Paul starts out his friendship and re-engaging them by pointing to God's activity in their life. Paul is showing us what goggles 
eyes that see the grace of God look like? Because as you can imagine, as we've worked through 1 Corinthians, there were a lot of issues to address. And yet Paul decides that the most important thing to opening the door for their friendship, reminding them, hey, we're friends, is to say, okay, there are things going on in your life that are only there because God himself has made you his friend. What are the things that God is doing in the Corinthian church? They're not totally bad, right? They actually love Jesus. They're trying to do their best. They're, as we call our series, they're just bad Christians like the rest of us. They aren't quite living up to what they thought they should do, what they should be doing. And yet Paul comes in and says, okay, the fact that you believe in Jesus and want him, love him, and trust him is evidence that God is doing something in you. And if God is doing something in you, that means there's grace at work here. So for your friendships, the thing that Paul gives us an example of is how do we look at each other and primarily begin to see the things that are happening because of God's activity in each other, right? What's happening in your friends that wouldn't happen without the gospel? What is happening actually because of the gospel's activity in our friends, right? This is uh, this famous quote that I love to remember on a regular basis uh, by Harold Best is that a mature Christian is easily edified, <laughs> right? We, if you're like me, I can uh, very easily diagnose there are 20 issues here, right? <laughs> there are a lot of things to address here. There are things that do not match up to what either general expectations of human existence are, but also God's standards within the, within the Bible are. And I can do that for me. I can do that. I'm my own worst critic. I can do that for others. Maybe what Paul is doing is showing us an example that we are fundamentally immature if we swing towards criticism first. If we swing towards criticism as our primary mode of engaging with other people, the way we think about other people, it may be that we are not mature enough to begin to see, actually, there are things that God is doing here that I just have not pursued to have the eyes to see in other people. You see, friendships, Christian friendships don't thrive by being hypercritical, and that's one of the challenges of being a Christian, right? We have this whole book that has all this, these designs and pictures and um, invitations to the life of God and what it looks like to follow him. And yet when we take them to each other, we often end up beating each other over the head with our Bibles rather than pointing and living out the Jesus in our Bibles. And it's not to say that Paul doesn't correct them. We're going to get to that, right? Paul, Christian friendships are refining. But Paul is laying out for us this picture that the eyes of Christian friends look to find where God is at work first and draw attention to those things. Because as Paul, was, he says this, right, God, here in verse 8 of this paragraph, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is something about grace working in each other's lives that we need eyes to see because those are the things like seeds to a tree that will flourish and bloom and explode into full reality when we see Jesus face to face. So that's why we're saying Christian friendships are graciously encouraging because grace is leading towards a land where all that we hope to see will actually come true and be real in each other. Right? There are things about myself that I wish um, were not true, that were not the dynamics of my life. 
And yet there are things about me that, and things about you that God is doing that I need help seeing because those, whatever God's grace is doing, refining me, changing me, correcting me, directing me, those are the things that will explode into full reality when we see Jesus face to face. Keller, this famous quote that I think I quote a good amount, when talking about Christian marriage, he has this to say, and I think it applies to Christian friendships more fundamentally. Within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but now look at you. That's, I think, one of the most critical dynamics of Christian friendship is to get a glimpse of what God is doing in other people. Get a glimpse of how he is changing, refining, and renewing, and restoring others around you within the church, within your community, and say, I see what God's doing here. I have eyes to see it. They may not actually see it very well, but I see decisions, I see words, I see actions that indicate a little tick towards what it looks like to be like Jesus. Small sacrifices or big conversations that indicate massive changes of grace on the inside of somebody, and that's what I want to be a friend for. I want to be a friend that comes alongside and blows a little wind into the sails of that human heart that is going to meet Jesus face to face, because I want to see the end result of what God's doing. I want to see this person develop in who God is making them and making them to be. Right? This is this is true. Of, I mean, this is true for Christian marriages, but it's more fundamentally true for Christian friendship. Right? So, what is what is God doing in the friends of yours in the church or around you in your in your missional community that you wouldn't uh, that wouldn't be happening in them without the work of Jesus in their lives? What's God doing in them that they may not see, but you're seeing small degrees of change from one week to the next, one conversation to the next, one year to the next. And are you using your words to draw their attention to those realities? I think that as we encourage, graciously encourage each other with the hope of who people are going to be revealed to be in Jesus at the last day, that is how we cultivate safe relationships in the church. Because if I know that you are looking for God's activity in me and that you're with me to help me see Jesus face to face, I can feel safe to confess any dynamics, any sins, any weaknesses going on in my life because your agenda is not the basis of our friendship. Your agenda is joining God's work to change me. My agenda is to join God's work to change you into who he is making you to be to see Jesus face to face. Here's some questions from a couple weeks ago that Jay actually had for our small groups building off of this idea of seeing the gifts of the Spirit in each other's lives. Write down what you see as the gift of the Spirit in two other church members. Take a moment and study grace in others. 
And here's the critical part that's going to make some of you kind of wig out. Uh, share it with them. Study somebody else in the church, right? And not creepy. Like, don't be creepy about it, right? Like, but I mean, just like, what are things that you see in other people that, like, you know, so-and-so, they're, they're selfless and tireless in being hospitable to other people. Or so-and-so in the church is, I do not remember the last time that I did not get an encouraging word from them. So-and-so in the church, uh, they are killing it in this area of their lives. And I don't think that they'd be doing that without Jesus. Or so-and-so has been continually coming to church or pointing me to Jesus or even just kind of standing and looking at Jesus amidst great, a great deal of tire, uh, suffering and trial in their lives. Those are all ways in which God shows up in our lives that we need eyes to see. So when Paul begins this letter by saying there's this whole, right, you know, when you walk into a kid's room and you're like, what blew up in here, <laughs> right? That was their church, right? But Paul comes in and says, you know, guys, I'm just really grateful that you're creative and that you're exuberant. We can do that on a church scale in our friendships and say, okay, here's, there might be a lot of mess, but there's something that God's doing that I want to draw attention to. So, another question from Jay, and then we'll move on. Write down a spiritual struggle that someone you know is going through and consider what words of encouragement might help. Here's where the critical component of Christian friendships that are gracefully encouraging. Encouragement actually requires you to use your words to say something to somebody. Whether it's written down, text message, your voice, or your, your hands if you're deaf. So... With that said, another dynamic, another kind of thread to pull up within this Christian uh, value of Christian friendships that reflect the character of God is that Christian friendships are patiently refining. I want to draw our attention to 1 Corinthians. There's this dynamic in the book of 1 Corinthians where chapter 1, verse 7, now concerning the matters with, about which you wrote, and then in chapter 8 he says, now concerning food offerings to idols, and now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. In chapter 12, there is a regular dynamic of uh, them having asked questions of Paul and then Paul leaning into those categories to help them grow. So this is maybe one of those kind of threads where I'm going to kind of pull out a bunch of data and just kind of say, here's several things going on here. And this is how it shapes, helps us shape our understanding of Christian friendships. Because right, if you remember the first like six chapters of the book, uh, Paul is leaning into how they have just totally gotten wigged out on um, we are super Christians with all of our special spiritual knowledge and we can do whatever we want because Jesus has died for all our sins and it doesn't matter how we live because we've got all this super spiritual knowledge and Paul thinks, but we don't need you anymore. Like there's this kind of like weird dynamic going on at the beginning of the book. And yet, there is this other th dynamic in which they have asked him questions, right? So you've got this one faction within the church that's kind of like, we are totally like, don't need you, Paul. And then there's this other faction within the church that's saying, hey, Paul, here's a few questions that we've got going on because we just don't know how to figure this out. And that's where you see this now about the matters about which you wrote. And it's interesting that Paul's response to their questions and their issues is not to be demeaning 
and it's not to be defensive, right? How many of us, when we, uh, we have something going on where one of our friends is just kind of like, bro, why did you post that on Facebook? <laughs> like, why did you do that? And then they come and they ask us, hey, can, we, uh, can, we, can you go get some groceries for me? Or, hey, can, can you help me with the kids? Or something like that. And you just want to be kind of like, dude, you got to get your life together. Like, because I can't help you if you're not going to like, come alongside and be like, within my framework of how things should be. <laughs> Right, because Paul here is in no way defensive either, right? Because they're they're like, hey, Paul, you know what? Um, I know you've seen the risen Lord, and I know you're writing books of the Bible, <laughs> but let me just tell you, I don't think we need your help on these things. Like, if there's a resume of people that I want their spiritual advice, it's people who've seen Jesus face to face and people who are adding books to the Bible. Uh, not today, though. <laughs> just saying. If you're adding books to the Bible, we need to talk. Um, but you see, Paul is leaning into helping them be refined in the work of God in their lives, right? Being defensive is asking something like, why would you even think that? Like, why would you even, what is up with that? Like, of course I know what I'm talking about. I'm an apostle. I've seen him face to face. Refining is asking, is there something here that I need to lean into, learn or reconsider about my life or their thinking? Refining takes time. I'm just going to pull from, first, from the book of Philippians, which is written a few years after this book. Um, Philippians 3, 13 to 16. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And here's the critical component here. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Within these, I, what I don't want you to hear me saying is, you know what, if somebody disagrees with the Bible and in your Christian friendships, somebody's just really just kind of going off the rails, don't worry about it. Just leave it, you know, let go and let God. That's not what Paul's saying. He is leaning into um, issues that come up within our, the lives of his friends, right? He's leaning into issues that come up about ways in which they've let the culture uh, redefine their understanding of worship or their sexuality or a number of things. He's responding graciously to their questions. And yet I think what this sort of verse shows is that within that, there is a holy open-handedness about his friendships uh, with those in Corinth and those in Philippi, is that, look, if, you're, if, if after all of our conversations, if after these issues that we're trying to work through and you're just kind of like not there yet and seeing what does it look like to follow Jesus with your sexuality or your finances or whatever, I'm just going to have to say, I'm going to trust that God's going to help you grow in this area. Not with arrogance, because Paul's just kind of like open-handed about it, and then he just kind of moves on, right? Like he's not fixated on like, is Jacob ever going to get his finances together so that he's knowing, he knows how to tithe correctly? Like that's not how Paul would just say, okay, you know what? Here's what the Bible has to say about this. That's my perspective on it. I think it's pretty clear. Moving on, we're still friends. I think... This patient refining 
Not only does it take time, but it takes effort. Here's the thing um, about 1 Corinthians uh, and Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth is that um, there's actually four letters that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and we only have two of them in the Bible because the other two were lost to history. They didn't, they, for whatever reason, did not survive, and the Holy Spirit didn't intend to put them in the Bible. But there's two letters because uh, they've been written something to Paul, and he's written one letter to them, and then 1 Corinthians is the second letter. There's a third letter that happens between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and then there's 2 Corinthians, which is the fourth letter between them. In that time period, there's probably around four visits that Paul makes to the church in Corinth, and there's probably about three to five visits that they make to, Corinth, to visit Paul, whether sending somebody to visit him. You keep that in mind as you look at all of these issues that keep coming up, and yet how Paul very graciously, patiently, leans into God's refining work in them. Can we go back, throw up the, the slide with 7-1 seven, uh, seven, on it? Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, imagining all the issues going on between Paul and Corinth, there is in some way a safety to their relationship that invites them to ask questions. And Paul's response is to lean in to their solicited their, their, their request for help, which I think sets a bit of a pattern for this category of patient refining, is that nobody uh, especially responds well, or most people don't, to unsolicited advice, <laughs> right? How many of you have gotten unsolicited advice and you're just kind of like, thanks, but no thanks? Uh, I've gotten this unsolicited advice at the, at the gym about how to do lifts correctly, and I'm like, I know more than you, and thanks, but no thanks. Um, or uh, how many of us have gotten unsolicited advice about our parenting or how we should dress or unsolicited advice about our driving? <laughs> if you're married, you know what it's like. Or maybe if you're not married, I, I haven't driven unmarried for a long time. <laughs> um, somebody else in the car, and they're pushing that invisible <laughs> brake pedal, unsolicited advice about my driving right now. Um, or if you've walked through suffering, I remember when Michelle and I uh, experienced uh, our miscarriages early on in our marriage, uh, we had unsolicited advice about just relax. It'll be okay. It's like, I'm going to put that in a little black box, silently suffocate that thought rather than respond to you right now. Unsolicited advice is not helpful. Paul is responding to their desire to grow and help, even amidst all the confusion that's going on in their lives, which gives us a pattern that the door, that they have opened the door for his wisdom, and they, and they want his help in their lives amidst all the craziness that's, that's going on. So this, what we're saying is that Christian friendships are patiently refining. This dynamic that we're pointing to is that Sometimes, if there are things going on in your life and others that need to be addressed, we need to be patient in leaning into those things and waiting for the right time. Sometimes it requires people, you know what, if this is going to go on, if I raise it, not change, and nothing's changing in that area, I'm just going to have to wait and wait until they are ready to engage 
whatever category is, and their own growth in Jesus. But you see, the, the, the Christian part of this is that they're trying to, we're hope, helping people move towards being refined into Jesus' image. Going back to this question that we were asking in the, the first category, there are 10,000 things going on in you and my life. What is God doing that I can join? What is God doing that I can help? What is God doing that I can be patient and helping his refining work in somebody else's life? That requires patient, uh, op, uh, requires a patient friendship to lean into what this area, how our friends are being conformed into the image of Christ. Is this making sense? Are we tracking here? Okay. We're going to finish up by one section here. Um, I want to I want to actually eject out of 1 Corinthians and pull out this category from the very end of Paul's life um, for our categories of of Christian friendship. Christian friendships are optimistically forgiving. Can we pull this up? Christian friendships are optimistically forgiving. At the end of Paul's life, I want to draw you to this last paragraph that Paul writes, that we have of Paul ever writing. Because it engages this whole thing of friendships, and I think it kind of puts things in a category uh, that helps us see that Jesus and not friendships are the ultimate reason why we actually are friends. Paul says the his very last letter, do your best to come to me soon. He's writing to Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and sustained and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I want to remind us, it, you may not, be, may not realize this, but this is Paul's last letter that he is writing from a jail cell or house arrest in Rome. And if you read the book of Romans, you will remember at the very end of it, there is this uh, phone book of all... Do you know, you might not remember, a contact list. Sorry, we don't have phone books anymore. We have contact lists. There's a contact list of people at the very end of the book. There's actually 29 people mentioned at the end of of the book of Romans. Some of them uh, may have moved out of Rome and were no longer there. Some of them uh, may have died. But regardless, Paul writes this last letter of his life, keeping these 29 people at the end of the book of Romans in mind and says, none of them came to my help. Here I am in house arrest. These are my friends that I put in the Bible, right? Their names are in our Bibles. And he says, none of them came to my help. I was abandoned. I was left alone. My friends did not live up to the basic expectations of friendship. I think what Paul is showing us is that in the midst of all of our desires to be good Christian friends, we will disappoint each other. And sometimes, in big and disastrous ways, we will majorly disappoint each other. And yet Paul has the gall to say, may it not be charged against them. He has friends, but he has not made friendship an idol. He has not based his entire identity around making sure that his friends are gathered around him and saying, uh, posting on Facebook, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still in Roman jail and like all of his friends like it. Like if none of his friends liked it, he still knows that 
the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. His spiritual life, his spiritual vitality was wrapped within this triune God who had made Paul his friend, but was not then idolatrizing the friendships of those around him within the church, right? This is the thing. We can take something like this from this morning, this sermon, and all these kind of dynamics and say, ah, see, you've got to be this type of friend to me and make an idol out of what we expect other people to be for us. You see, uh, the basis of your friendship as a Christian with others is that God said, you know what? Um, You're my enemy, and I know that you don't like me, and that you've absolutely destroyed everything that I intended for you. But here's the thing. I'm going to make you my friend by sending my son to die for the war that you've waged against me. And when Jesus dies in our place before God, he then satisfies all the things that could have broken us from our friendship with God and binds us to God's heart for all eternity by dying in our place so that that is the way God views friendships. He is infinitely forgiving towards those who were not his friends to make them his friends. So then those for whom Jesus died who disappoint us as our friends, I think we can be a little forgiving towards them, can't we? And the reason we're saying this is optimistically forgiving, maybe, you, maybe we kind of missed, missed it because it's, a, it's just kind of another name, but do your best to come soon. So he's writing this to Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. There's a Bible knowledge thing. I don't expect you to know it. Acts chapter 15, at the very end of it, there's this big high point in the book of Acts where they're like, yay, we figured out how to do gospel ministry together for both Jews and Gentiles, people who are alike and people who aren't alike. We figured all this stuff out. Okay, let's go spread the gospel. All right, um, Barnabas, let's get together. Let's get a team together. This is Paul. We're going to go and plant more churches, uh, but not Mark. Mark abandoned us along the way. Mark had totally deserted us for whatever reason, and so the Bible says that they had a sharp disagreement, and they split their own ways, and Paul and Barnabas went different directions, all because of Mark. And yet here Paul is within the intervening 30 years or something like that. He says uh, to Timothy, you know what? I need you to bring Mark to me because he's very useful to me for what God's doing here. I don't, I, you just have to fill in the gap with some speculation of what happened between them. What happened so that Mark is the, the cause for Paul breaking up with his best friend and going in different directions for church planting work, and then at the end of his life saying, somehow we've reconciled. It's all kind of left to the speculation of history, but I really need Mark here to help me out. I really need Mark here to help me do what I'm doing here. See, there is some sort of, and I'll tell you this, this is my, throw my cards on the table. I actually wonder if Mark was the one who forgave Paul, because <laughs> I actually kind of wonder if Paul was a little bit of, uh, overly obtuse and obscure in the book of, in, in Acts chapter 15. You don't know. This is speculation. I'm just saying. There was some sort of forgiveness that had happened there that then led them towards future ministry work together. So, I'm pointing this out to say that the reason we're saying that Christian friendships are optimistically forgiving is that sometimes we need to remember that those who have wronged us or disappointed us or hurt us are those whom that we, we need to be forgiving towards 
that we can continue to do life together with them, even if it seems like everything in the house is totally burned down and there's no relationship left. There is an air of cynicism within our life and our culture today that says, whatever somebody is like now, they will always be like that, and this relationship will never get repaired. Sometimes, even if there is forgiveness, those relationships will never return to the way they were. That being said, Christian friendships orient with optimistic, forgiving heart towards other people because we expect Jesus to be at work among them. Are there Christian friends that have disappointed you, abandoned or betrayed you, that you need to forgive? Not necessarily that you're going to do the same things and be besties again, but is there a way in which a forgiving heart towards others expects that there will be life together in some form in the future. This means that Christian friendships are safe, selfless, and life-giving. I want us to end by asking these questions. How can we be friends towards those in the church that are gracefully encouraging, patiently refining, and optimistically forgiving? How will these types of friendships not only help us to grow together in the body of Christ in our church, but I wonder, as you extend that relationship orientation towards folks who are not following Jesus or exploring Jesus, how will that type of friendship with our non-Christian friends speak gospel power into their lives? These things are true in us because Christian friendships reflect the character of God, because God has made us his friends. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.